Podcast One production. Punchy, whacked, power, influence. Take me seriously because I've actually got some clout behind what I'm saying. Welcome to Women with Clout. <laughs> Catherine, in this episode, we're going to be joined by Ashton Applewhite. I first came across Ashton because I'm on the Every Age Counts Committee, which is the first, I think, in the world campaign dedicated to fighting ageism. And Ashton is kind of the ageism activist par excellence. Um, Her TEDx talk is remarkable on the subject and her latest book, This Chair Rocks, is all about the kinds of myths and legends and stereotypes that we build up around older people, but particularly Ashton's a woman, older women. She's quite remarkable, isn't she? And the myth busting Mm. that she does uh, and unpacking that whole idea that, of course, we fear age uh, and why that's been driven and ramped up and especially for women, the ramifications of that. Right across workforce, society, capitalism, you name it, Ashton can tell us why it happens. It's very exciting to have you here, Ashton. Thank you. It's great to be here. Ashton, I'd like to start, you've been in Australia speaking recently and you obviously do a bit of travelling. I just wondered, do you think that there are different attitudes to age and indeed levels of ageism according to different cultures? To some degree, uh, but I think, you know, where people live in community all together, all ages, uh, there is less ageism. People who are raised in families with their grandparents or with older people don't tend to have ageist stereotypes for obvious reasons. Everywhere that urbanization has divided the generations, that um, capitalism has is a powerful force in reducing the value of a person to their conventional earning capacity, those are global forces. So they have propelled ageism into every corner of the globe. You talk about dividing the generations. One of the things that I've really been picking up on social media recently is this uh, very strong, uh, almost dismissal of uh, older people in a little phrase which is, okay, boomer. And it's being vigorously defended, by the way, by um, those who use it, younger people who use it as what you call as snowflake millennials and all that kind of thing. Why does that, and I keep trying to point out that this is, there's nothing new about saying old people are out of touch and that we (laughs) did it when we were young. The boomers were famous for it. We used to call it the man and straights and Bob Dylan wrote a whole song saying, you know, uh, mothers and fathers get out of the way, you're always rapidly changing Um, and, you know, get out of the way if you can't lend a hand. So the same thing keeps repeating itself. Why? Why do we keep doing this dividing of the generations, pitting them against one another. I think it's human always for the you know younger generation to say, look at the look at the mess you left us. You know, I don't think that's ageist. However, I do love this question because I think you bring up something really, really important. I would like Boomer to indeed be a critical comment about anyone of any age who thinks that their good luck, their material circumstances are a result of their personal virtue or a meritocracy, right? No matter how old they happen to be. And some, I'm 
born in 1952, dead center in the boomers. And I was incredibly lucky to be born in the wealthiest country in the world at the beginning of 70 years of prosperity and no war. That is a really good reason to resent me, but it is not a good reason to frame me as the enemy. The issue is class. And the overarching point, and it's so important, is that all prejudice operates to divide each other. Classic example is moms at home arguing with moms in the paid workforce about who's a better mom, which just distracts us. Who's leaning in farther? Who's leaning in better? Who wants it all? Can we have it all? How about instead of fighting about those things, uniting to close the gender wage gap so women could choose whether or not to stay home? These are scary times. You know, mm-hmm. there's, uh, there, you know, climate crisis being paramount to my mind, but you know, the rise of AI, the scary stuff that the internet is doing. Politicians and corporate leaders around the world are exploiting very skillfully divisions of class, of gender, of race. We cannot afford to add age to the mix. Mm. So I urge people not to fall for this old versus young thing. There's discussion in Australia about housing shortages, you know, with the old people eating all the houses so there's none for the young. In San Francisco, in Silicon Valley, the exact opposite. The, the rich, young technocrats have eaten all the apartments, so there's no room for older people. The wealthy people have yeah. eaten all the apartments, and the rest of us on the margins are the ones who are getting screwed, and that's how we need to frame it so we can join forces against those who have more than they should. Oh, that was fantastic. I agree with every single word you just said. That was so good. <laughs> well, divide and conquer. Yeah. Uh, uh, is oh, an age-old phrase. Right. I mean, Marx, you know, the factory workers, you know, competing instead of joining forces against the people who own the factories for a better Absolutely. wage. Unity. And it's always struck me that the powerless always find it easier to attack one another than to attack the powerful, because that's really scary. And that that can lead to danger. Speaking truth to power. Mm, And, mm. you know, and that is a position of privilege to say storm the ramparts. You know, if you are going to lose your job and you have no money at home and children to support, it's that's a lot harder to do. Mm. Ashton, you mentioned at the beginning that um, ageism uh, can be, well, we can see uh, people fighting ageism in in different communities, but also that in, in places where kids grow up surrounded by people of all different ages in their family unit. Just made me wonder about your background and your family unit. Did you have grandparents around, older relatives that you saw regularly? No. I mean, I, I you know, I had, I saw my parents, but we didn't, I lived in a different city. Um, my children do now live um, in the little house behind mine, but I think the very cheap rent is probably a <laughs> giant instead of... Less than the proximity, <laughs> yeah. And they lived on their own for 10 years, thank mm. heavens. So... Um, you know, I backed into this as I back into everything. I started thinking about it because I was afraid of getting old in my mid-50s about 12 years ago. And, uh, and and I started as a project about older people who work, people over 80 in the workforce, and I started researching longevity. And, what you know, the, the aha moments for, for me were finding out in about 10 minutes of research— all these facts about late life that showed me that what I thought I knew about what it would be like to be that old were way off base or flat out wrong. And I, you know, I thought, um, 
I thought the odds of ending up in some wretched nursing home were pretty good. And at that time, the percentage of Americans over 65 in nursing homes, not all senior care, Mm. um, was 4%. It's down to 2.5%. Older people have better mental health than younger people. The U-curve of happiness. People are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. I couldn't believe that when I encountered it. So I became obsessed with why so few people know these things. So that was really the catalyst, not my um, beloved grannies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is really the, 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 the core of your book, your recent book, This Chair Rocks. A Manifesto Against Ageism. Okay, that's right. And, and I read a review which said um, you bust about seven myths per page in that book, which I thought was pretty good going. That's a very good strike rate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a strike rate... Um, Except that, you know, the counterside, sometimes I say it's like cleaning a really dirty window. You know, you can see where you've been. Yeah. But, and, but these are new ideas to people. And that is, it's daunting, of course, but that is part of the fun because there's so many smack your forehead points, not because I'm a genius, but because I sort of got there first. I mean, a good example is I ask people what they think of as criteria for diversity. And most people, you know, don't say age, but when I say, what about age? No one says that's a dumb idea or, you know, let me get back to you on that one. So the culture, one of the reasons I'm jazzed about what I do is because I think the culture is much more ready to add age to that list, if you will. Sometimes I say hitch age to the intersectional sled Mm. than it was 60 years ago when he said, you know, a woman could run this studio every bit as well as a man. Yeah. So I think we have a cultural, intellectual, political momentum, and to get age and ageism onto the radar is a much smaller ask than it would have been. The ground's been prepared in a way, hasn't exactly. it? Yeah. Do you think, though, that ageing still remains something that women are more likely to be frightened of than men? I do indeed, mm. because of the intersection of ageism and sexism. You know, Susan Sontag called it the double standard of aging. The fact, the idea that aging enhances men and devalues women, primarily because we are penalized. Economists call it the attractiveness penalty. Don't you love that? <laughs> um, if only they looked in the mirror, those, those economists, <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> I've seen a few. <laughs> I mean, women, women are never the right age. Even oh, no. young women don't get promoted. I mean, in U.S. in the U.S., women stop being promoted to managerial jobs at 34 yeah. because they might have children. Employers don't want to hire young women because they might have children. We all know your uterus and your brain cannot function at the same time. Mm. And then the minute you're a little bit older, you're too old. So I, you know, women are never the right age. It is always used against us. One, it it. It aggravates me that one of the biggest, what feels like one of the biggest asks has to do with our damn appearance. But sometimes I think, you know, women are leading this movement. We will continue to because we are braver and have the most at stake, in my opinion, mm. um, is to look more generously at each other and ourselves. I think women, I'm speaking largely in a heteronormative context, but my daughter happens to be gay. And I remember saying to her years ago, tell me it's better if you're a lesbian. And there's, she said, mom, we all want to be with the cute chick at the bar. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, when a woman lets her hair go gray, it's rarely her husband who says, honey, you look like an old bag. Her friends say, hmm, you sure? You want to think twice about that? So when we do that, when we women compete to, Stay young, air quotes around stay young because you can't, it's not doable. No. 
it sets us up to fail. It's expensive. No mm. one talks about the class yeah. bias around And it plays into this. capitalism because that can sell us all Hugely that Hugely plays into capitalism, and it pits us against each other. We compete on terms that were not dictated by us and do not work to our advantage. I think, in a way, one of the most radical things women can do is to come together in groups of all ages. Consciousness raising was the tool that catalyzed the women's movement. Women came together compared notes, realized that what they were, the obstacles they were encountering were not their personal problems. Oops, somehow they, you know, married a man who made more money or, you know, their children weren't blonde enough, their tits weren't big enough. These were not personal failings. They were political, economic problems that required collective action. And I think we need to do that with women of all ages in consciousness raising groups, ideally also of all sexual orientations, you know, different class if possible. Age is a, not a big barrier class, I think, is a harder one. And I will just say my website is thischairrocks.com slash resources. The very first thing you'll see there is a guide called, it's a guide to starting a consciousness raising group around age bias called Who Me? Ageist? Mm. Free download dying for some smart women out there, ideally not older and white, to adapt it for women. Yeah. Um, because all change starts within. Most of us aren't aware of our bias, and we can't challenge it unless we're aware of it. And, you know, that's almost the story of the women's rights movement. I mean, it is people coming together. I remember interviewing our former Governor-General, Quentin Bryce, about the early days of setting up childcare mm. in Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, when she was a legal academic and she got a group of women together in the centre of Brisbane and she said, we all need childcare. And that's yeah. how they got one of their yeah. first childcare mm. centres going. Which um, is how the women's refugees started And women's refugees, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's a fantastic history and a, a really rich one as well. It's really interesting, um, and both of you can answer this, I reckon. I'm just noticing on social media, which I thought originally and then with the Me Too movement happened, was really turbocharging. Um, Feminism, but also LGBTQI rights, um, I think ageism as well, and uh, certainly um, anti-racism and all that kind of thing, disabled groups, all that sort of thing, um, because they were able to get access to one another without being mediated through the powerful for the first time ever. And especially people with disabilities who often physically cannot get to somewhere to meet together. Correct. But so social media gave them that access for the first time. But what I'm noticing now, post Me Too, is a tendency for people to start fighting each other more and more more on social media instead of turning their sites where they were, which was against the systemic things that block us all, including the OK Boomer, Snowflake, Millennial Conflict, but a whole lot of others as well, pylons, the full bit. Yeah. Do you think we, we, in a way we're being manipulated that somebody, that I don't like conspiracies, but the Mark powerful- Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's him. Um, but the, the powerful just intuitively know that breaking up any collection of people is a very important way of them staying the powerful. That's a terrifying idea, and I would love to be able to refute it wholeheartedly, but it's possible. Certainly, social media breaks things down into sound bites where it is impossible to have the nuanced discussions that are necessary. I, My theory is that progressives 
honest progressives are always at a disadvantage because the truth is always complicated. Sometimes I'm yeah. say I'm in the both sides of the story business. It's not that your fears about aging are without basis running out of money, ending up alone. Some part of your body is going to fall apart, not all of it. Your and brain, you will, and the end your, is to die. Your brain probably not. <laughs> yes, but that's an ageist conflation, I think. But it's that we only hear about the scary stuff. Alzheimer's is a terrible disease, r- huge public health challenge, but Alzheimer's rates are falling. How come we never hear that? Mm. My favorite example around me too was there's the brouhaha fairly early on where some French feminists wrote something in support of men. Yes. And the best tweet was, the problem is not French feminists. The problem is not American feminists. The problem is patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> here, here, yeah. here, here. And the French women should stop the patriarchs, my, yeah. is my view. <laughs> <laughs> Hold off, ladies. <laughs> um, Ash, I wanted to ask you a bit about the workplace because I spent many years examining uh, certainly gender and work, um, and but also at various times have looked at uh, ageism in, in workplaces, particularly in Australia. I've actually looked at the US and because I'm, I'm in the media, I've often seen newsreaders in the US and thought, my goodness, that's a real contrast to Australia. They have, some of them have had work, yes, you're right, but they are considerably older than the newsreaders, exactly, and broadcasters we see on our screens. I just wondered what are some of the attitudes that remain because, my goodness, I've seen this very close up and personal, so a member of my family facing quite blatant ageism, um, being asked questions that are actually illegal. Um, so we know that that's still going on mm. um, and this is someone in it their is. 60s at their peak level of experience. So I'm just wondering what you're seeing, if anything, their little shafts of light and hope. Well, a shaft of light not in the context of the workforce is the the um, presidential campaign four years ago. The candidates were ancient. Age yeah. was never mentioned. Now, when the age of a candidate is called out, at least it's named as ageism. Um all sorts of recent human resources surveys are showing ageism as the number one form of discrimination people report encountering in the workplace. I did just tweet about one that said that women um, say that ageism is the biggest problem, and a wonderful ally of mine wrote me gently to say, that's a tweet only a white woman would send. Mm. And, you know, I really appreciate the course corrections. It's really easy to lose sight of our own privileged lens. Um which which is why I think it's so important for all of us anti-ageists to also be explicitly anti-racist yeah. and pro-refugee um, rights and pro-reproductive um, you know, rights. I mean, whatever, th- those may not be your politics, but it can be hard to find the thing to ally yourself with around age because we are aging from the minute we're born. Mm. So to find, to, so to act um, as allies around these other social justice struggles, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because just as oppression is intersectional, so is activism. Yeah. Right? When we, when we chip away at the fear and ignorance that underlies any form of prejudice, I think we erode the basis for them all. And if we, I'm thinking about um, older people joining uh, climate strike activists on, on Fridays. And my 88-year-old mother was at the school student strike with me, my daughter, and my husband. There we go. And when we show up at all ages, which really means us older people who may have more freedom to do so, um, we show that we care about the world we leave behind, obviously. And we act in solidarity. And then I think people in those other struggles 
will understand that they should ally with us. The great quote from Audre Lorde, the um, wonderful black poet, there's no such thing as a single issue struggle because we don't lead single issue lives. No, inequality, if you believe in it, and equality of opportunity and uh, basically being taken seriously as yourself has to apply to everyone. It has to. Or it applies to no one. I think that's true. And um, someone asked me just last night why I talked about age equity. The goal is equity across the lifespan. Ageism is any judgment about a person or a group of people on the basis of how old we think they are, and younger people experience a lot of it. Yeah. So it is, you know, these these huge global macroeconomic trends are buffeting um, you know, the older people who can't find work, also younger people trying to get a foothold. We need to look at solutions and structures that support us across the entire lifespan. Um, and I um, was asked why I say equity now. I used to say equality. Mm. Believe me, as I just made embarrassingly obvious, I'm learning all the time. But um, imagine a cartoon or a picture of a bunch of people trying to see over a fence, and they have different heights, perhaps one's in a wheelchair. That's equality of opportunity. Equality means they all get the same size box to mm. see over the fence. Equity means that those who are shorter, for whatever reason, get a bigger box. So everyone, so it's not one size fits all. No, it never is if you're seeking to give everyone an even chance. And especially... You know, all prejudice is based on stereotyping, mm. which is always dumb and misinformed. But something, we have this crazy idea, you know, those those checklists, you know, the marketing checklist, 18 to 22, 22 to 28, that end at 50 or 65. Heterogeneity increases with age. Every newborn is unique, but 17-year-olds are way more alike socially, physically, developmentally than 37-year-olds who are way more homogenous than 67-year-olds and so on. So it is incredibly dopey and, and wrong to think of, you know, some we wake up one morning old, everything is awful, and we all join this, you know, homogenous group called the elderly, mm. not a phrase that has ever escaped my lips before, when nothing could be further from the truth. What do you think, too? I have noticed an increasing particularly when I was promoting my book, Accidental Feminists, uh, earlier this year, I noticed a fury amongst very old women. Mm. So women of my age, I'm 62, we're kind of taking our privilege of having grown up with feminism and so having that kind of orientation to the world and getting opportunities that I think women in their late 70s and 80s did not get oh. at the same age when they were young because they were still living in a really, really rigidly sexist world. Um, and they have suddenly gotten to a point in their lives where they've re- realised, I'm never going to get that space. And they're so angry about not being heard and being listened to. And sometimes I've been the recipient of that anger and it's been quite hard to but take. that's us versus them again. Correct. But I've also thought maybe too, and I'm sort of contradicting my previous <laughs> question a little bit, but I'm just thinking this through, that maybe too... They think that I will deal with their anger in a helpful and constructive way rather than use it to destroy them. That when you actually decide to voice anger when you are in your 80s and it's been a forbidden for your whole life, you have to find somebody to voice it to that in a way you can trust. Yeah. So is there a compliment in that anger in a weird way? Well, I think 
arguably, yes. I think it depends on the individual conversation, of course, who is yeah, the person talking course. to you, or are they just ranting on, mm. you know, Fox News? But I think the idea that anger is not forbidden to women is a hugely powerful one, yeah. like profanity. I mean, Mona El-Tawahi's new book is called The Seven Necessary Sins for Girls and Women, and it tells you something. I mean, I didn't discover I was a feminist till I was 40. I've backed into everything. I'm a really slow learner, but... <laughs> I can't. I can't remember You're what this. You're making up for that time. <laughs> yeah, can yeah, I yeah. just say? Late, uh, late bloomer. Late bloomer. <laughs> but um, it's. I can only think of the things we're supposed to be, which is quiet, which is polite, which is demure. And she says, "Be violent. Be profane. Be ambitious. Be aggressive." People say to me things like, I, 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 "You know." But you're not a lady. And I now go back and say to them, I have no idea what a lady is. That's such what an is a lady? Idea. Do you know that the two words that really make me want to scream, in fact, Jane, I possibly have yeah. a few times, is age appropriate. Oh. oh. I'm so glad you're rolling your eyes at that. I, I like the joint groan. Um, for adults, there is no such thing. Right? Nope. I mean, for children, yes, we need to try and keep children safe and teach them, you know, a few fundamental operating rules, hopefully. But once you, I mean, one, I have a Q&A blog called Yo, Is This Ageist? Modeled on this fantastic blog in the U.S. called Yo, Is This Racist? Started by a, a guy who realized, like, we're, we're, we're awkward talking about race, for sure. Um, we are ignorant talking about ageism, you know, because these are new ideas. And people are like, is it okay for a million-year-old to wear a miniskirt? You know, and the answer is, Yes. <laughs> I mean, and, and no, and no, you don't need to have great legs. No. If you want to wear a miniskirt, wear a miniskirt. I never wore miniskirts. I don't wear them now, but it's not because I'm so ancient. It's because I don't feel comfortable Permission in Permission not required. That's right. <laughs> I don't have to have your approval. I think that's been one of the major battles for women, and I think that continues as we get older. This idea that to exist almost, we have to be approved of. We have to, somebody has to say to us, Yes, okay, that's fine. You can go out looking like that or you can say And that, that somebody is, of course, patriarchy. Yes, it is. And capitalism because it sells us all these expensive remedies so we can look better and pleasing. Um, Ashton, we should ask you a little bit about campaigns around anti-ageism, if mm. you like. What, what have you seen? What do you think has been, been effective? It's, it's, um, I came to Australia because Australia launched the first national anti-ageism campaign called Every Age Counts. And it is really excellent with, with everything from individual ways for just one person to get involved to high-level policy papers written in English that are really terrific. In, uh, in 2018, I started a website called Old School, oldschool.info as a clearinghouse of free, vetted anti-ageism resources on the theory that, sadly, no one else was doing it. Movements need tools, best practices, ways to share them. And within six months, we had to add a campaigns section. And it is the fastest-growing um, segment of old school. We, and these are I mean, it's it's pretty thrilling to have tangible evidence of social change. It can be a very ephemeral thing. That growing section is evidence of exactly that. Um, there was one yesterday that launched in Toronto with a genius campaign. The image is a, is a, a jar against a field, and it's aging cream. And it, it's guaranteed to confer, you know, authority, confidence, experience. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, yeah. very yeah. clever. Mm. 
And, and that actually brings to mind one of the uh, wonderful formulations I came across in the Every Age Counts material was that we don't approve of skin whitening cream. No. Why do we give anti-aging cream? A pass. Yeah. Self-loathing cells. Yeah, it does. And we women buy into it, but we cannot be robbed of our um, pride and our self-confidence unless we consent to it. That's a big ask. You know, this changing the narrative is a lifelong task. It has to be em- embarked on in community and with others, with male allies too, of course. Mm-hmm. But women are going to lead the way, and we have to push back against this you know, corrosive narrative that that old equals ugly, that to age is to fail, that our worth is pegged to our reproductive capacity. Global health data stops being collected on women pretty much at age 55 Mm -hmm. when we cease to be reproductively useful. What's that about? And data on men and women stops being collected on millions and millions and millions of people around uh, Mm -hmm. around the world. And I know this from my work with the UN, simply because we are no longer young. It's so interesting, isn't it? There is this sense that women in particular literally have a use-by date. It is menopause. And that's one of the reasons perhaps that in Australia, for example, the fastest growing group amongst the homeless is women over 55. And there is a real sense amongst those women that they have been basically said, could you just go away and die? You are you are so superfluous to requirements. That is certainly the you've message. You've served your purpose. Of yeah, you've served your purpose. You've had your kids. You brought them up. What point <laughs> is there to you? <laughs> um, I'm not laughing. Um, <laughs> You're allowed yeah. to. And clearly, you know the 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 underpinning of that. There's so many. It's yeah. always you know, multifaceted, which is frankly what makes it so interesting. I mean, if you had told me 10 years ago I would become obsessed with aging, I would have said, why do I want to think about something so yucky and depressing? Mm. And it, that's true. If we see aging as uh, illness and dying, aging is moving through life. It's not something annoying that old people do. It is something we embark on. It is the one universal human experience. Dying is just what happens at the end of all that living. I think in a hyper-capitalist, globalized world, the main driver of that sorry, sorry fact about um, increasing numbers of women in among the homeless in Australia is the fact that women earn less mm-hmm. and that we are penalized for time spent out of the workforce, typically on unpaid caregiving. And of course, much of that work in the U.S. is done by women of color, often um, immigrants who are not registered. So all these oppressions add up compounded by race and by class, which is why everywhere in the world, poorest of the poor, sickest of the sick are old women of color. Mm. But again, that is, I think, why women are leading this movement. And it ageism is the first form of discrimination many white men encounter. Yes, it is. It's been yes, my experience too. So I that. am eager for some, you know, and that's a tough reckoning. Oh my goodness. We saw it when when ageism in tech in Silicon Valley started to get a bunch of attention, I don't know, five or six years ago. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's because skilled, young, white men bumped into the idea that it's not a meritocracy. Imagine that. Mm. That's a very tough reckoning, especially for an older man. Women have a huge advantage in aging, which is that the most important component of how well we age is not health which I would have thought it was. Then I thought, well, okay, wealth, obviously. It's having a solid social network. Jane is nodding. Um, 
And women tend to be the custodians of social relationships. Um, when men leave work or are forced to leave work, they often have no other recourse. If they're widowed, their wife is often their best friend, maybe even their only close friend. Mm. So that's a real reckoning to go, oh, wait, I didn't get where I got purely on the you know basis of my strength and beauty. Um, I, had a, I had a leg up. But I think for, for the men who are willing to do that tough reckoning, I think they're going to become important allies, and we're ready. Yeah. And you know what? This has been the opposite of yucky and depressing. Um, yeah. It is so <laughs> it has. fantastic to hear about your work, um, and you've really been so thought-provoking. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. My Ashton. pleasure. Women with Clout is presented by Jane Caro and me, Catherine Fox, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Liv Crown, theme music composed and performed by David Beckingham. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search Women with Clout on Apple Podcasts. 